easy. Uh, my name's Steve Bugler, uh, and obviously we, my wife and I, Kim, who's sitting right over there, um, I like this. I can say just about anything. You guys are just going to start clapping. That's great. <laughs> um, we run Campus Ambassadors at UAlbany, as you probably just figured out from that video. Uh, as I start talking, by the way, there's going to be a couple of guys going around handing out a couple of folders. And I'd like you, if you haven't gotten our prayer letter or you're interested in getting that or learning more about what we do and supporting us, you can sign up for that, give us your information, and pass it on to the next person. And then hopefully I'll be able to collect them at the end. Uh, just so you know, too, that that video was put together, actually, by one of our alumni um, who just wanted to give back. So another way to say, though, who we are is that basically there's a spiritual war going on all around us right now. And we're some of the fellow soldiers that you as a church body support. And I just want to thank you. Thank you very much for your generous support for what we do. If you remember when I spoke last time, I asked everyone to stand symbolizing the Christian high school graduates uh, going away to secular schools every year. And then I asked everyone but the first two rows to sit down. And that represents all of the people that fall away from their faith by the time they graduate college in those secular schools. It's true that 88% of all graduating high school seniors lose their faith in college. This is an epidemic. That means like 10% of those who are going on to secular colleges and some who are going to Christian colleges are actually losing their faith. This is huge and we need to stop this. And of course, Kim and I are there to reach out to those students and help them follow the Lord while they're going to school and afterwards. But we're not just there for them. We're there for those who don't know Jesus too. And reach out to the vast numbers that don't know him and help them follow him too. Can you go back to that statistic, please, John? Thank you. Look at that statistic and tell me we're not in a war. This is serious. Over the past couple of weeks, Pastor Frank has begun to teach us about spiritual warfare and walk us through Ephesians 6. And today, I'd like to spend some time talking about how to defeat our enemies, Satan and demons. Specifically, I'm hoping we can gain an understanding of their motives and capabilities, but also how to fight effectively against them. And I'll get to that in a moment, but first I want to pray. And before I pray, I just want to ask, is, could I get like a couple of people just to be praying over all of us as a congregation here today and over my words? Is there anybody who would pray for us while we're great? Awesome. Please pray with me. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this time. I thank you that you've assembled us together for a reason. It's not by accident, Lord. And I know you want to do something powerful here. And Lord, I don't want to hear from me. None of us want to hear from me. We want to hear from you, from your word, and from your spirit. So Lord, I pray that right now you would be filling me completely with your spirit. That you would be guiding us all and filling us all with your spirit. Lord, I pray that your conviction would fall on all of us here today. And that we would take it and run with it. And run straight towards you in everything that we do. Lord, this isn't about right now here in church. It's about what we do when we leave this place. So I pray, Lord, that we would embrace the lesson you have for us here today. Learn from it. 
grow and change and follow you to the best of our ability so that all of us, Lord, when we stand before you one day, hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray that there is nobody that leaves this place and is able to say, God was not in that place, that, they would, that each one of us would uh, t- be touched by your spirit and moved by you, Lord, today. Please, Lord, guide this time. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Uh, So, uh, could you go back to the picture of Kim and I? Wherever that is. Thank you. So, I thought I'd start by telling you a story about what happened to me as I was ministering to a girl after one of our meetings at CA. That evening, I had sensed a, uh, a deep heaviness in the room. I didn't, couldn't really put my finger on it. I didn't know what was going on, but I just sensed something was there, and it wasn't godly. She and her roommate came up to me after the meeting and told me that she'd been struggling with depression and had been having several suicidal thoughts. So I asked some questions, and I just sat there, and I listened to her for a while. As I prayed silently, it became evident that she was holding on to many things that people in her past had done to her or that she had perceived they had done to her, including her parents. She was struggling to feel love, to feel forgiveness, and to love herself or anybody else. It had driven her to feel almost completely empty and alone. So I asked her to forgive those who had hurt her and to say it out loud as if they were right in front of her as if she was saying it to them. And the strangest thing happened at that point, because she was speaking very normally to me. And then all of a sudden, when she tried to speak, all that came out, and I was like telling her to try and forgive these people, she's like, I... I... And she's just stuttering over the word forgive. She could not say the words. They wouldn't come out of her mouth. So I silently prayed and just asked the Holy Spirit, what are we dealing with here? And I got one word, mute. I remember Jesus casting a demon out of a a man, a a demon of muteness out of a man. So out loud, I said something like, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, demon of muteness, to come out of her and get under the feet of Jesus Christ right now. Immediately, without blinking, she suddenly started speaking in full sentences. I forgive my mother. I forgive my father. I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. (laughs) I looked over at her roommate, and her roommate looked at me like, and I'm like, that's our God. (laughs) I'm very happy to say she became uh, someone that we discipled. She began to deal with her depression and suicidal thoughts. And she got much better over time and eventually became part of our worship team. This is one of several stories that I could tell you about direct spiritual warfare with demons that I've experienced. And I tell you this to simply show you that this is a very real fight we are fighting. We have a very real enemy. But we also serve a God who's so much more powerful than anything that would set itself up against him. Before I get into the meat of what I want to talk about, I need to say a a couple of sort of caveats. Uh, 
so that we're all on the same page here. First, uh, next slide, please. And sorry, next one. One more. Awesome. Okay. So I want to make it absolutely clear that our greatest inhibitor to our relationship and a deep relationship with Jesus is our own sin. It's the stuff we do. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Many have uh, said something similar to, The devil made me do it. Satan doesn't cause us to sin. Satan may cause us to be tempted. And he does a really good job of that sometimes. But he doesn't cause us to sin. We do that by choosing to follow our temptation rather than following God and his will for us. And many times we seek out our sin and participate in it without any influence from him. Secondly, next slide please. We should never study our enemy with an unhealthy interest in him. Sometimes we get so fascinated on him and so focused on him that we take our eyes off of God and that's not the point. We should never adopt his ways of, or his tactics for our own. Even when we're fighting him, we should be using God's tactics. And then lastly, I'd like to point out, next slide please, Satan is not more powerful than Jesus. So as I talk about Satan and demons today, I want you to know we are not comparing him to God or to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I don't want any of us walking away from this teaching thinking that we can blame Satan for our choices, our selfish, sinful nature, or our own propensity to sin. Even if Satan and demons were not active in the world, we would still desperately need Jesus to save us from our own sin. And we need to all understand that. So that being said, let's look at our enemies for the rest of our time here and how to fight against them knowing that we love and need our Savior Jesus. First, we need to ask this question. Why should we study our enemy? I know I said we shouldn't have an unhealthy interest in Satan, but there's a ton of information about him in the Bible, and it's there for a reason. It wasn't a mistake that God let that stuff get in there. (laughs) He wants us to know that. When fighting a war, generals and military leaders seek to know as much as possible about their opponents. They want to know how they think and make themselves ready to either attack or counter their opponents every move. In a war, it's important to have as much information as possible and understand the strategy of an enemy and their motivations in order to know their best, uh, our best defense against that and formulate a strategy of either attack or counterattack. So, another question we might ask is this. Next slide, please. Why are we attacked? Have you ever wondered that? Well, 2 Corinthians actually gives us the answer. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan will go to great lengths to prevent people from following Jesus. 
His number one goal is to get us to forget God or make us believe falsehoods about God or other people or even ourselves, all in an effort to turn us from God and reject our relationship with him. He wants us to renounce God and put Satan on the throne in our lives. Obviously, this leads to our destruction. Maybe it's not obvious to you, but if it's not, you should know that. (laughs) Unfortunately, he's very good at it. He's been doing it for centuries. But be very joyfully reminded that we have a Savior who is far better and has already overcome sin, death, and our enemy. Remember what I said. Jesus is far more powerful. It is written, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And I want you to remember that. So, moving on. Let's look at two passages and see what Scripture seems to indicate that demons specifically are capable of. There are two great passages in the Gospels that give us tremendous amount of insight into our enemies. In the first one that I'm going to talk about, Jesus is confronting uh, a demon-possessed man who's been living amongst the tombs. This is what it says in Luke 8. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Skip, if you could just, or not skip, I'm sorry. John, if you could just hold that for a second. The next passage, uh, and I'm just going to jump to another passage really quick, is Jesus teaching on how evil spirits operate. John, could you put that up, please? When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. So there's a few things that we can learn from these two passages. And I want you to just think about what we just read as I go to the next slide. Um, Demons have a will, emotion, and self-awareness. They can exist inside or outside of us. By the way, I don't believe that if you're a believer in Christ that they can possess you. I believe they can influence you but not possess you. I should make that clear. They also are able to travel at will. They don't want to, but they're able to. And they're able to communicate audibly, or sometimes silently through our thoughts, sort of introducing ideas 
or, idea, or thoughts. Each one has a separate identity or name, and usually they're named after, after the thing that they are causing us to do or tempting us to do. I shouldn't say causing. Such as lust, pride, gluttony, or in this case, legion. They also have an intellect, so they're able to remember, evaluate, and make decisions and plans. They vary in degrees of, degrees of wickedness and are able to combine forces. Essentially, it's a very organized structure like an army. It is an army. Now, I realize up till now that everything I've been talking about has been pretty dark, pretty despairing almost if you were to go there. However, that would only be true if we didn't have a powerful Savior. And I want you to, again, remember Jesus is more powerful than Satan. Let's shift our focus to some tactics given to us through the scriptures and through Jesus' example to us. And this, by the way, is where things start to get really good for if you believe and follow Jesus. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is useful for rebuking. Hmm. Interesting. We've heard this verse so many times, right? But how many times have you actually thought about it in the context of spiritual warfare? This has always been true. In fact, but way before, actually, Paul wrote that to Timothy. In fact, it's exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted in the desert by Satan at one of his weakest physical points. In Matthew 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan after a 40-day a fast. When's the last time you fasted for 40 days? When's the last time you fasted for one? <laughs> it's not easy, right? How about 40 days? Now let's stack on top of that the fact that he's in the middle of the desert with extreme cold at night, extreme heat in the day. 40 days. I hope this isn't disrespectful, but Jesus was a stud, is a stud. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. (laughs) I don't think I could last. I don't think any of us could. I think it would just melt us. Um, So in Matthew 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan after 40 days of this. And I just selected certain verses here because as Jesus is is being tempted by Satan, the and and. I'll just point out these verses. The tempter comes to him. Satan comes to him and is tempting him over and over and over again, three times. He came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command, uh, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then he says, Again, after the second temptation, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then Jesus, after the third temptation, he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What's he doing there? He's quoting Deuteronomy. When's the last time you quoted Deuteronomy? (laughs) If I had to quote Deuteronomy to save me from temptations, I don't think it would go too well for me. But God, Jesus, just quotes it and basically lays it down. This is the law and this is what you need to abide by. A demon's main tool is lying and deception. 
Frank spoke about this too, but I want to make a slightly different point that will help you identify or discern the lies of the enemy as you go about your days. Satan and demons love to spread vicious and subtle lies by introducing thoughts into our minds. They try to influence us. Next slide, please. They'll say things like, you're not good enough. Nobody likes you. You're a failure. God couldn't love you. You're not worthy of love. Now, I know uh, Frank spoke about this. Well, God via Frank. Um, Let me ask you something. How many of you have ever heard thoughts like this run through your mind? I certainly have. Look at those hands, everybody. You're not alone. You're not alone. Here's how you can know if the thoughts you're having are from you, are from God, or are from Satan and demons. First, if it agrees with Scripture, it leaves you encouraged or empowered or convicted of a particular sin, that's from God. And by the way, being convicted of a sin is a good thing. That's God trying to get the evil or the sin away from you. It's an act of love. He's trying to cleanse you. It's kind of like saying, don't walk into traffic. It's going to hurt you. However, how many of you talk to yourself in the third person? Yeah, it's funny, right? Don't you use, do you use the pronoun you when you're talking about something to yourself or thinking about something? I don't. When I'm hungry, I think, hey, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get something to eat. I don't say, you're hungry. You need a sandwich. You know, it's, but what demons do is they make it seem like these are our own thoughts. And it seems very convincing because it's happening internally. And so there is power in it because we think it's us thinking it. Can you go? uh, Yeah, that's fine. So it's so powerful that eventually we can even adopt the lie for ourselves and start believing it. You're ugly. Nobody cares about you. Another way you can tell if it's from the enemy is the message will be destructive in nature. It will be filled with guilt or it leads to self-hatred or separates you from God or separates you from others in the Christian community. And I just want to tell you about an example of something that's been happening with me that I've become more and more aware of over the last couple of months. But... Sometimes we hear the lies about ourselves. Sometimes we hear the lies about God, such as he doesn't care about you, he doesn't love you. But sometimes we hear the lie about other people. And just recently, I've become aware of some lies that I've been hearing about my wife. I've been hearing lies like she's just totally thinking selfishly. She doesn't care about you. She doesn't, she doesn't want uh, to, to help you. That's, that's lies. Those are all lies. And I've only recently become aware of this in my life. But this is the woman who said I do. <laughs> this is the woman who cares about me potentially more than anybody else on the planet. This is the woman who I have worked with my for the last 10 years to build this family together. And we do ministry together. Why would she have any ill intentions towards me? It doesn't make any sense. But I started believing those things and only recently have come into the awareness of them. And so this is an ongoing process for me too, you guys. 
But I want you to be aware that that stuff happens. I bet if we examine our thoughts closely, we might find that many of us have been believing lies. Lies that are hand-delivered by the enemy straight from the pit of hell. And the most deceiving part is that they seem like they're your own thoughts. On the other hand, if we realize what Satan is trying to do with the lies, we can much more easily see it and focus on the truth rather than believe the lies. This is where Frank's message on truth two weeks ago comes into play. One of the greatest lie-defeating truths of Scripture is what it says about our identity. This is something he didn't talk about as much. Do you know what the Bible says about who you are if you're a follower of Christ? Next slide, please. It says you're a saint. It says you're a friend of Christ, a brother or a sister of Christ, not condemned. You're free to approach his throne. You're seated on his throne with him and in him. And you're a child of God. And guys, that is not an exhaustive list of what the Bible has to say. That is just a hand-picked few select ones from various verses that I could point out to you. In fact, I went through the entire book of Ephesians and picked out all the verses in that one six-chapter book. And I'm going to show those to you on a slide right now. Uh, actually, several slides, because I couldn't fit it on, so on one slide. Here's one. Next slide. Notice we're, always, we're only up to Ephesians 2.19. Keep going. Next one. That's four slides of bullet point lists of all the scripture in one book of the Bible about how much God loves you, about who you are, and about, it's, it's like he's like, guys, do you get it? It's true. I really do love you. This, this book, it's not a lie. I, I'm just telling you again and again and again and again. I really love you. I really, it wasn't a mistake that I died on that cross for you. It wasn't a mistake. <clears throat> this is really good news in case you hadn't picked that up already. It's encouraging. It's empowering. It's where things start to get good for those of us who believe and follow him. So the next time you're hearing lies from the enemy, you tell that, um, that tell you that you're alone or that you're not loved by God or that someone is out to get you, you can say, get behind me, Satan. It is written, I'm a saint, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to leave Let me share another way to fight this war. One of the things that we see in scripture is that demons, as evil as they are, know they have to obey the word of God. If you notice that those demons that were uh, coming to, well, that Jesus was basically coming to confront, they immediately hit the deck in front of him. Every single time in the gospels, when Jesus shows up, the demons are crawling at his feet. And they listen to everything. In fact, they ask permission (laughs) they asked permission to follow whatever he was going to say and he cast them into the pigs, right? So, they know that he's the word and that this is the word and that they have to obey it. They know that. They don't like it, but they know it. 
They're like evil lawyers running around looking for loopholes or ways to use the law, but they, uh, when it's used on them, they know, how, they know that they have to follow it. By the way, nothing against lawyers. Jesus and I both love you. Um, don't sue me. So, <laughs> so are we going to be hearers of the word or are we going to be doers? Awesome. Let's put this into practice, shall we? I'm so excited for what's about to happen. This is going to be so good. Okay. There are so many blessings in scripture. We can use these verses as protection over various parts of our lives, even uh, geographic areas like our home. Isaiah 32, 18 says, My people shall live in a peaceful habitation, in secure homes and quiet places of rest. So, I want you to say this with me right now. And I want you to say everything that's in quotes up there. So, together, let's all say this. But wait, before I do... I just want to say, I've been waiting for this moment for years to stand up and lead a congregation to all do this at once, because I feel like this is going to just be like this godly nuclear bomb that goes off. Uh, I'm so excited. So are you guys ready for this? This is going to be good. All right. One, two, three. It is written, my people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and in quiet places of rest. Well, different translation in my, uh, <laughs> in my mind. But um, if you're a follower and believer of Jesus Christ, that verse is about you. This verse acts almost like a cleansing disinfectant that just washes over wherever you are or wherever you live. It's like a SWAT team comes in and does like a room sweep and then cleanses everything and angels come down and lock shields all around the place and they're just like, nothing's getting in here unless it's from Jesus. I just love that idea or that mental image anyway. If there was any demonic activity in your home, it's being cleansed right now. Yeah, that's what's going on. By the way, it also cleanses office space, <laughs> restaurants, uh, hotel rooms. You can imagine the amount of stuff that's in those. Um, <clears throat> and yes, even the DMV. So, <laughs> but that's not just that verse. That's one verse from the Bible, you guys. The, what other verses are in here? that are blessings from God that we can actually enact in our life and ask God to bless us with that actually work as spiritual warfare to cleanse and rid us of anything demonic. What about this one? Psalm 121.8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Guys, you should memorize these verses. This is powerful. Or Psalm 91, the whole psalm. You can do it. You can memorize it. You can do that. (laughs) That's a good start. The last tactic that I'm going to touch on has to do with filling us up. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, uh, as well as several other passages with almost all of Paul's writings, actually, he constantly talks about taking off the old and putting on the new. 
It's a two-step process. So what we just did was we took off the old. We need to put on the new. And the new is the blessing of the Holy Spirit and inviting the Holy Spirit in. And so one of the things I would like to do right now, since we just said that verse, is I actually just want to pray over all of us. Would you please uh, bow your heads with me? And I'm not done yet, but I just want to do this. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I just want to lift up this entire congregation, everybody, Lord, that just spoke that verse over themselves, over them, their family, over their homes. Father, I pray your blessing, the blessing and indwelling and filling of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray that we would take off all that sin and all that demonic activity and put on the new, which is your presence and your will and all of your fruit. Lord, I just pray your blessing over everybody here and ask that you fill us anew with your spirit in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I like that. (laughs) So once we've cleansed ourselves of any... uh, Oh, I said that already. I'm sorry. Can you see why it's so important to know what the Bible says? This is crucial, you guys. You need to know what this says, and you need to believe it and follow it and have it be a part of who you are. So the next time you're hearing a lie, you'll know it's false. One of the things that the way they treat, uh, not treat, train secret service agents, secret service agents do more than just protect the president and foreign heads of state. Uh, They also work with the Treasury Department, and they they do all sorts of... um, training on how to detect fraudulent money because that's what they do. They, they search out all sorts of um, money, um, com- counterfeit money. Thank you. I just totally blanked on the word. So they look for counterfeit money. Do you know how you find counterfeit money? By knowing the real thing. The way they treat or train a uh, Secret Service agent is they sit them down in a room with actual bills and train them to know exactly what those look like, how they smell, how they feel, the size, everything. And then they'll know if it's a fraud or not because it won't look like the real thing. We need to know what the real thing is and know Jesus so that we know what the real thing is. And I want to leave you with this final thought. Next slide, please. The greatest single tactic you have in your relationship, in this war, is your relationship with Jesus. He's the one who gives us the authority over Satan and demons in the first place. He's the one that already won the war. And he's the only one that can save us. He's our father, our redeemer, our forgiver, and our salvation. And if you are trying to do this alone, you will fail. I have failed multiple times trying to do it alone. The fight is real. The consequences are real. So if you're here and have a relationship with Jesus, next slide please, do everything in your power to strengthen that relationship. Your home, your place of work, wherever you find yourself, you are on the front lines of that battle. Invest in that relationship with Jesus. And if you're here and do not have that relationship with Jesus, you need to understand, he loves you. He loved you before you were ever even born. 
and died for you on that cross. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. And he wants you to live a transformed life. And all of that is possible through him. And he puts that invite out there and says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And gives us a new life and fills us with his spirit. And if you don't have that relationship, Second Corinthians 6 tells us that today is the day of salvation. And so I encourage you to make today the day of your salvation and give your life to him. And if you don't know how to do that and you want to do that, you can come talk to me. I would be glad to introduce you to Jesus. Or you can come to any of the elders who will be up here praying with you or for you uh, at the end of the service. And if you want to do more to empower Kim and I to fight this war on the front lines at UAlbany, please come and see me at the table. I'll be in the back afterwards. And find out how you can partner with us and support us both financially and through prayer for the ministry. And, and just an update for you all too. We, we saw six people give their life to Christ this last year. And two people get baptized. And people's lives being transformed through discipleship. And so your investment is helping to do that. And you are helping us to further the front lines and push them forward. And so I appreciate that, and thank you. Thank you very much.